Good morning. Welcome here this morning. It's a privilege to, to be here and share with you all. Mm. It's kind of nice we're together this morning. When we first got here, this place was a lot emptier than it is now, which is nice there's some more folks here, but made me glad that Chapel and Bethel were together this morning. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Um, We'll start at verse 38. This is a very familiar story. I've titled this message, The Sin of Distracted Living. And I, I hope that's an accurate title. I don't want to over, um, overemphasize something in, in some way. At the same time, I think that's accurate. <clears throat> um, distraction is something that we probably all face. It's a, a very human tendency. Um, if you, I looked up the, the definition of distraction this morning, and it says a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something, to something else. Um, and usually we think of distraction as something that prevents us from giving attention to something that is more important, um, something that, is, that we really should be focusing on. We get distracted and we focus on something else. Now, I have a lot of experience in distractions. I feel qualified to speak on this because I know a lot about it. I have not mastered how to handle distractions, which is part of the reason I want to speak about it. Um, the sermon is aimed squarely at me, so if I step on your toes, I'm stepping on mine first, and maybe I won't step on anybody's toes other than myself. Um, but if it turns out to be helpful to you, I'm, I'm thankful it's, it's challenging to me. Um, if any of your, and if any of my preaching is ever helpful to anybody, you should thank my wife, because she bears the burden of um, getting, getting sermons ready. This past week, um, I, was, I was trying to prepare for this sermon and thinking about it, and I was struggling with distractions the whole week. Um, sometimes, a lot of times I'm really glad for a job that keeps my mind busy. Uh, other times I wish I had time just to think. And um, I had people around me asking me questions, messages coming in, things I'm trying to respond to. For some reason this week we had um, a number of bugs that showed up in different pieces of software we'd written and I was trying to figure them out and get them fixed and get them out and um, just constant things going on. I managed to focus on my message, keep it kind of in the center of my head for about two days and then it went. And uh, after that I really struggled to get my head back around it. This passage in Luke chapter 10, um, starting in verse 38, is a story of Mary and Martha. It's a very familiar story. And maybe you don't think about this if you think about distractions. Um, but I, as I was, I was starting to study for this, I did a little looking online. And I ran into a website from desiringgod.org. It's John Piper's website, if you're familiar with him. And there's several articles on there written by a man named John Bloom, which is a, an associate of his, an assistant to him. And he, I think, mentioned this, this passage in there. And I, the more I looked at it, the more I liked using it as kind of a springboard for the, for the message. Let's, let's go on and read these verses, and we can talk about them a little, and then we'll look at, another, at some other passages as well. Luke 10, verse 38. 
Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, the contrast between these two women is always the, the thing we talk about, right, with this passage. Uh, Mary sat and listened, or the Amplified says, was continually listening. listening. She was in the attitude of listening. Um, she continued to focus on Jesus and, and hear his words. Martha, if you have the ESV or the NIV, you'll notice it probably says distracted there. I believe that's what those translations say. Uh, she was distracted with, um, with many things, troubled with many things. Actually, that's in verse 40. She was troubled with much serving. She was distracted with much serving. Um, the things that she had to do distracted her from what was important. And she was failing to focus on the important thing. Um, Jesus said that Mary has chosen the one important thing. And Martha was failing to focus on that over what seemed more urgent to her. That's one of the hallmarks of um, momentary distractions. Now, as, as we think about distraction, I want to think about two areas. One is um, distracted moments or momentary distractions, the things that just pop into your head or pop up on your phone. It's a good source of distraction these days. Or you, you're trying to focus on your devotions and something you, rem, you remember something and suddenly you're distracted, you're off on another trail. Those are kind of momentary things that they, they break our attention for a little and it's hard to get our mind back into the, the gear of whatever we're thinking about. And many times it's things that we perceive as urgent. Uh, they may or may not be that urgent, but we perceive them that way and they interrupt what feels like the I mean, what really should be the important to us. And that's what was happening with Martha here. Um, urgent things were encroaching on the important. And these are a hallmark of what, what I want to call distracted moments or momentary distractions. There's little things that interject into us, into our, into our thought process. A couple of weeks back, um, the Virginia Senate, I don't know if any of you noticed this, the Virginia Senate and the House of Delegates passed a bill banning the use of handheld cell phones while driving. They've tried like two or three times to get this bill through and they finally got it through the House and the Senate and now it still needs the governor's stamp of approval and then it'll become law. And it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be effective until like January the 1st of next year. But the reason is distracted driving is a, is a big problem and probably many of us would have to change the way we handle a cell phone while we're driving if that law goes all the way through. Um, it would ban even holding it to your head and talking on it while you're driving because that would be a, a use of handheld cell phone. Uh, one police officer said distracted driving is as bad as impaired driving. That it, he's talking of driving while under the influence of alcohol or drugs or something else um, because you fail to give your full attention to what you're doing. I was trying to think. I think there was only one time that I actually had an accident because I was distracted. There was a, one time in Guatemala I was in very slow traffic, just stop and go, and you know, where the, all the traffic is slowly moving forward, and something distracted me, and all of a sudden I realized it hit the guy in front of me. And um, 
it was a little delivery van or something, and the guy jumped out, came to the back, opened both his doors, closed them again, waved at me, and drove off. <laughs> I was very thankful. He could have chewed me out and tried to make me pay him a large sum of money for, for bumping him. I don't think I'd actually dented anything, but I was still very thankful. He just went on. But I was distracted, paying attention to something else. I don't know if it was my phone or what it was. It's been long enough. It may not have been my cell phone. It might not have had one on me at the point, that point. But distractions take our attention away from something, and we miss something that's important. Uh, Jesus said multiple times, he who has ears, let him hear, or listen. That's basically what he's saying. Um, Jesus often shared truth in ways that were not just easy to capture right on the surface truth. And today we tend to like things that are pretty bite-sized to get a hold of and and understand, and you know, there's one-minute devotionals, and there's ten-minute devotionals, and there's all these you know little concise things, that, bits of truth that we grab. I don't know that's all wrong, but Jesus' teaching. Um, if you want to turn to it, Mark four ten through twelve. This is right after the parable of the sower. The disciples come to him and are asking him to explain it to him to them. And he has a, a little bit to say about their understanding. When he was alone, this is Mark 4, verse 10, reading through verse 12. When he was alone, they that were, they that were about him with the twelve asked him, of the, asked him of the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Thus at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. That sounds like a really weird statement from the Messiah. Um, we do, they're going to see but not, not perceive, hear but not understand, um, in case they would be forgiven, in case they would repent and be forgiven. I think what Jesus was saying was understanding spiritual truth requires focus, requires attention. Um, it's not just going to, you can't just hear a few words, capture the, the essence of the truth, and that be enough. This requires focus and thought. In our, our current world, which this is not unique just to today, but it seems like it's, it, it's getting worse, the pace of our world keeps us from thinking a lot of times. Um, one of the last times I preached, I, I had to drive to DC several days before I drove there and back. And um, after someone commented, after I preached, someone commented that it, was a, that it was a good message. I thought about it later. I think all that driving and just time to think and think and think and think, and I already had my part, was partway through my message. All that time lets things start to gel and start to make sense. And it's, it's hard to have that time to think anymore. Um, or that when I do actually get to the point that I could think, I'm so exhausted, I start falling asleep. And that doesn't work very well either. Distractions keep us from thinking. Um, and I think, I believe that our relationship with God requires some deep thought, time where we can reflect and we can think. Um, and I don't know where y'all are in your lives. I'm at the stage of life where it's difficult to get time. Um, I think back to days when I was a boy and I could spend entire days reading books, you know, just burn through books. And now I can barely 
touch a book because there just isn't time. It's not time to read. So distractions keep us from thinking. Uh, distractions affect our time with God. It's a struggle to focus when we have time with God. If we get accustomed to having lots of distractions, sometimes it's really hard to bring our focus back and focus on God. It can also keep us from having time with God because the time we should be doing other things gets filled up with distractions. We don't get as much done as we wanted to or the things that are important aren't getting done. And then it's difficult to have time with God as well. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me. And um, if you read that in Spanish, it says, permaneced in me. Um, and permaneced, it has this idea of, if you would directly translate it, it would be like permanent in me. Um, abide permanently or stay permanently. Maybe a better way would be to say to dwell in me. Um, time with God requires ongoing uh, relationship and ongoing focus on God to be dwelling in Him. I'd like to think about things that distract us in our spiritual lives and what they, what they stem from. And this is probably the part where we need to think about what distraction really means and why, why we should consider it as sin. Um, Distractions in spiritual life stem from several things. I mean, there's lots of things that can cause the distractions, but the reason that we become distracted stem from several things. Um, I think that when we are distracted in worship, we're trying to worship and other things are distracting, distracting us, part of the reason is we, it's a failure to appreciate how great God is, um, to respect Him both in our lives, in the way we live, and also in, in the way we worship kind of a casual attitude towards God. Take it or leave it. You know, God's here, we can spend time with him, but if there's other things that are more pressing, well, we can kind of push that off because God will still be there later on. We can, and I don't believe that God is a, is a God that wants a rigid or a, um, has an exacting form of worship that we have to abide by, but he does want our attention. Um, he does want us to to appreciate how great he is and to, to be in his presence with that attitude. And I know I fail in my relationship with God in having that all toward God that he would desire. Um, I think of, you, you think of Isaiah and his vision of God and how touched he was by, by that vision. And we have the opportunity each day step into God's presence it's, un it's unfortunate we can't have that same sort of vision daily to, to guide our perspective of God in our worship. So spiritual, I think some part of the reason we get distracted in spiritual things is a, a failure to appreciate how great God is. I think another time, reason that we get distracted in, in spiritual things sometimes is God is slow to work. Uh, God's work takes time. And you, you remember the phrase, when the fullness, was t fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. The, um, I'm sure the Jews thought fullness of time had come and gone and more, and they were, they were certain that it was time for the Messiah to come many, many years before that. Uh, but God's work takes time. And it, 
it creates distraction in us. We are, we are more susceptible to distraction when we feel like God isn't working. Um, this is dragging on. We start looking for our own solutions and finding our own ways, and we get distracted from waiting on God. So distractions spiritually stem from a failure to appreciate God's awesomeness and also a failure to appreciate God's timing. When we're distracted spiritually, it also says something about our, uh, our faith in God or our lack of it, I think. Um, the deeper my faith in God, the more attention I want to pay to him because I believe he's going to do something. He's going to work. And as God seems less necessary and less important, I am less apt to pay attention to him. Um, now, I wouldn't say that Martha necessarily loved Jesus less than Mary, but somehow Mary had captured the, the importance of being with Jesus in a way that Martha hadn't. Martha thought food on the table is pretty important, and whatever else she was busy doing was pretty important stuff. And she wasn't wrong, it was important, but it wasn't as important as being with Jesus. And you know, the, the things that creep into our minds when we're trying to focus on God are the responsibilities that you know, we really need to remember and you know, the concerns that we have about something. And all those things are important, but they're not as important as, as the God that we're trying to, to talk to. And I think as we struggle with focus on God, as our focus on Him is lower, it changes, it reduces the impact that his truth has on us. Somebody this past week was talking about, somebody at work was talking about um, the media. It was something in relation to political things, and I don't remember exactly what, what they were talking about, but the basic thing they were saying was that, well, if the media says something often enough, eventually people just believe that it's true. And I think there's truth to that statement, but what impressed me about that, I thought, you know, that's the way it works with, God's truth, we need to keep hearing it often enough that we believe that it's true. It is true, but if we don't hear it very often, it ceases to feel very true. Um, the, the less we focus on God, the less impact his truth has on us, because we know we, our reasoning starts to sound more and more plausible, and his truth sounds less applicable to my situation. Um, as our focus on God is reduced, is the impact of his truth is reduced as well. How can we change? Um, how, can we, how can we improve on distracted living mo with momentary distractions? I've got more stuff here to cover than we will cover in our time here, so I'm going to have to try to condense. Um, I think the first thing is to, is to recognize that distractions are a problem for us and that being distracted in God's presence is a sin, um, or allowing distractions to take over in God's presence. I think we will have distractions. We can't prevent those, but that we can focus on God even in the middle of distractions. I remember a story Dad told. I'm not sure where he's at right now, but when he was a, a young man in college, he had grown up in a, in a family um, with five brothers, and I think they slept in the same room or they were at least enough of them in one room. He was very used to noisy conditions. And um, when he was in college, there was some point that there was a bunch of guys in his dorm room, and he decided he was going to go to bed. He climbed into his bunk, and they're like, is he going to go to bed? And he said, yeah, I'm going to sleep. He rolled over and went to sleep, and it's still noisy and everything. There was plenty of distractions there. Didn't interrupt his, his focus on sleep because he was used to it. 
um, we're not going to be able to escape distractions. But we need to recognize that being distracted away from God is a problem. And we can learn to work with those distractions and still keep our focus on God. Christ was an amazing example of somebody who went through life with tremendous amount of interruptions and um, people in, interjecting and interrupting his day and still maintained his focus on God and still used all those things um, to further God's kingdom. So we need to recognize that distraction is a problem and yet um, be able to work with the distractions that, that God allows in our lives. It's going to require discipline. Um, Paul wrote to Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Um, we don't think maybe of this as a battle necessarily. It's not a, a human that we're fighting against, but it is something that we have to battle against. It requires discipline. Some practical ideas. Um, evaluate distractions in your relationship with God. Look at the distractions and say, what do these say about me? Like, is this saying that I have a casual attitude towards, an casual attitude towards God? Is this saying that fear or worry is controlling me and that's why I'm distracted with this thing? Um, is this saying that this particular area is more important to me than God? One way of looking at some distractions is to say, this thing is becoming an idol to me. Uh, it's, it's too important. I have hobbies that can become things that I'm really interested in. I can be doing something in my mind, can be focused on what do I need to do to get my bees ready for this summer and, you know, this sort of thing. And that's not a very important thing for my head to be focused on. I find it interesting, enjoyable, but it's not what should be consuming my, my interest. All right, so as, as we have distractions, evaluate what, what do these things say about me and my relationship with God? And I think we can find that we can sort out some of them and say, you know, this is a sinful desire or a selfish desire. Those are things I need to, to crucify. And probably sort out some are due to fear and worry, and those we need to ask God for peace and, and for his help. And then we need to ask Christ for help. He knows about distractions. He lived with them. Um, Hebrews says that he was in all points tempted like we are. So those are, that's, that's thinking about momentary distractions, the things that interrupt us throughout the day. We need to come to God and ask for help to be able to focus on him and to learn from him how to live even in the middle of distractions. Now, there's a second type of distractions, and that, this is the one that even concerns me more. I, I feel like I struggle with the first type, the momentary. The second, second type, I think, is more dangerous because it's the distracted living. Um, it's where we have our focus wrong, and it's not just a momentary thing, but it's a pattern of our lives. If you want to turn to, to Luke chapter 12, a couple chapters on from where we were, verse 15, there's a story there that Jesus told that we want to look at. But before that, while you're turning there, I want to... Back in 1972, December the 29th of 1972, there was an Eastern Airlines flight that was, was flying into Miami, and it was at night. <clears throat> and as they got close to the, the airport, 
they lowered their landing gear and the, the light that showed that the nose landing gear was down did not illuminate. And um, so they got worried about it, obviously. Wanted to make sure their nose gear was indeed down. And they were down to a thousand feet or so um, above the ground when they realized this wasn't working. And so they asked to go around and get into a holding, pat holding pattern where they tried to figure out if this landing gear really was down or not. And um, some of the crew went down, this was of course a number of years ago, they were somehow were able to get down to where they could actually look out a little portal and try to see if the landing gear was down. And they did a bunch of things trying to figure out if this plane was actually safe to land or not. Well, somehow in the whole process, they believe what happened is that one of the pilots, they're trying to figure this out, leaned on something on the, on the, um, on the wheel, on the yoke, and bumped something with the autopilot and flipped the autopilot off. And they're flying at about 2,500 feet. They'd come back up to 2,000, 2,500 feet. They were holding that level as they went around. Well, when they flipped the autopilot off, at some point they started to lose altitude. And the, um, there was a warning that went off, but evidently they were all out of the cockpit at that time or down trying to figure out what was going on with this, this burned out bulb, which is what it turned out to be. And um, they're trying to figure this out and did not realize they were gradually losing altitude. And they lost altitude until they were down to about 200 feet. And one of them all of a sudden realized that something was wrong. And they were flying over the Everglades, so there weren't any lights, there weren't, wasn't anything for them to really tell that they had gotten that low. And by the time they realized what was going on, it was too late and they crashed. And I think about half the people on board were killed. Um, some of them did survive, but that's an example of something that is more long-term. It's not a momentary distraction. They were distracted, they were focused on what they thought the problem was, and in the end, it turned out there was a much bigger problem that they had no idea was going on. I like to think about distracted living, which is not just living with the momentary distractions, but um, living with the, the longer term, our focus being wrong. And I want to look at this chapter, or this passage in Luke 12, story that Jesus tells about the rich, um, the rich fool, starting in verse 15. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down in my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these, those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This man had a misguided view of life. Um, you could say he was living purposefully, he was investing, um, he was handling his business well, he was a good businessman, but he ended up at the wrong point. Um, he was focused on the wrong thing. Distracted living and distracted moments are interrelated. As I'm distracted with my, with my momentary focus on God, if I'm not able to focus on God consistently, it becomes more difficult to know which direction in life I'm heading. 
And on the flip side, if my direction in life is bad, it's harder for me to focus on, on God even when I'm trying to take time for Him. Living distractedly means my eyes aren't fixed on God. And Jesus said, no man who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I think that was a very apt illustration of those people that day. You can't plow straight and look behind you. It's impossible. You need to focus on the thing out in front of you as you're plowing. The danger of living distractedly is that I can feel like I'm serving God when I'm not. Those guys flying that plane felt like they were doing the right thing. They felt like they were keeping everybody safe, and they were doing their best to keep everybody safe, and they weren't. They were actually putting them in greater and greater danger. The longer they tried to figure out their problem, the worse the problem was getting, and they didn't know. Um, and we can, we can live in a very distracted way, feeling like we are doing the right things, but our focus is wrong. And distracted living isn't about me getting distracted from my agenda or my goal. It's me getting my focus off of God, my eyes off of God. Um, and I can look at people around me and I can feel like I measure up pretty good. I can even know a lot of theological concepts and be able to really explain them well. I can even preach sermons and still be living in a distracted way. One of my neighbors was a... Um, sheriff and or sheriff's deputy in Appomattox County for a while and he said one day he was out patrolling and saw this guy that was actually I think they called him from Campbell County he said hey this guy's coming over he's driving pretty radically do you want to check him out and so he he actually stopped the fella it was an elderly man and he had scrape marks on the side of his car he'd evidently run off and hit a guardrail a few times and um, so my neighbor Chris he said where, where are you heading to it's like oh I'm going home He's like, where, where do you live? He gave him a street. He said, I don't recognize that street. I'm sorry, could you tell me what town that's in? He gave him a town name. He's like, I don't recognize that town either. Could you tell me what state that is? He's like, Washington State. He's like, do you have any idea where you're at? And this poor guy, he, was, he had dementia or something, and he was convinced he was going home, but he was way far from home. And he had evidently he had been lost. His family was looking for him. He had wandered his way across the United States, probably stopping and getting gas, convinced he was heading home, and he was wandering around in Appomattox County, Virginia, trying to find his way home. And we can, we can also live that way. Um, dis distracted from what's important, thinking we're focusing on what, what's important, but lost and not realizing it. We won't take time to look through Hebrews, but if you want, I was really impressed as I was studying for this. I thought about trying to preach out of Hebrews this morning. Um, there are so many passages in Hebrews that talk about take heed, listen up, um, be careful, because it's it's easy to it's easy to not really be living the way we should be. A distracted or incorrect focus from our life can be caused by a lot of different things. It can be caused by us being disillusioned with what God's doing. Um, I, I think I've had that happen to me sometimes. I think I'm doing God's work. I want to see God working. He doesn't work. And after a while, you're like, is God really going to work? Is this, 
and we can start getting impatient and we kind of start focusing on other things because what we thought was most important doesn't seem to be working out. Um, that was John the Baptist. He, he sent people to, to Jesus and said, should we look for another? Is this really going to work out or not? Uh, it can be caused by selfishness. That was the problem of this, this rich fool. And that is a huge danger in our society today um, in America. We're the richest people in the world. I don't remember how many of you were here for Derek's little example. Was it a Christmas maybe? Around Christmas time with the, um, with the candy for the children. And like two of the children got candy and the rest got none. Or basically that was the idea. And they, the two children represented us. Um, we have the majority of the world's wealth. We can be distracted by many other things, um, worries or fears or problems. And Martha was distracted by service to God, service to Jesus. So what can we do to, to keep our focus right? Um, I think one of the big things is just take time to evaluate our life, um, evaluate our life in prayer, um, on our knees. What, what is most important to us? Where is our time invested, especially our, our free time? Um, is it invested the way that Jesus would invest it? Um, if he would be here in my shoes, what would he be doing? And ask Jesus to show us uh, what way to go, where we should go. Um, I don't know how many of you have read the story of Sir Ernest, Sir, Sir Ernest Shackleton's um, expedition to the South Pole, which never made it anywhere near the South Pole, but um, Shackleton in 1914, somewhere between 1914 and 1917, I think, was their expedition. They got trapped in the ice and their ship was crushed eventually. Um, they all got out of the, the ship before it was crushed. Um, but floated on ice flows for a while and finally ended up on Elephant Island, which was a little island that fortunately had fresh water and seals and penguins that they could eat. So they, had, they could survive there for a while and they weren't going to go under because they were now off the ice onto to land. But Shackleton knew that um, they couldn't live there forever. They had to get help from outside and nobody was going to come help them um, without somebody going. And so Shackleton decided that he and five other men were going to take one of their lifeboats. They had saved three lifeboats. They left two on Elephant Island, uh, which they made into huts and lived in those, the remainder of the men. He decided that he and five other men were going to sail across about 800 miles of open ocean to an island that had a whaling station on it. It was an, an island about 100 miles long, but it was 800 miles away. It was not the closest land or the closest inhabited land, but he thought they had a chance of getting there because they didn't have to sail into the westerlies that, that blow through that area. And um, they took enough food for a month, I think. He decided that if they didn't make it in a month, they would be dead anyway or completely lost. There was no chance. And he instructed the men that he left behind that if they didn't get back to pick them up, I think by the next spring, a certain number of months, that they were to try to, to sail out a different direction. But um, they sailed in this lifeboat, which was 22 and a half feet long, and sailing through 800 miles of open ocean through a, 
through a sea that was known for 60-foot waves and hurricane-force winds, but he, he didn't really have any other option. That was his only option, so he tried it. And the crazy thing is, they made it. And I don't know how in the world their navigator managed to figure out where they were, because they said most of the time it was cloudy. Occasionally they'd get glimpses of the sun, and he'd, he'd, get a, he'd shoot the sun and try to figure out where they were at, and they would correct their course, and they would keep going. And they finally made it. It took them 16 days. And some of the time they had to anchor and just wait for these. The seas were so hard, they so so furious, they, they couldn't keep going. Um, when they finally got to the island, they had to anchor for a while because they couldn't even beach because the, the seas were so strong. Um, anyway, it's, it's a really incredible story. The thing I, wanna, the thing I want us to, to notice about it, though, was those guys, when they set out, they charted a course, but it wasn't even aiming at the island. Um, they charted a course that was going to take them to a to an area that would for sure keep them from being swept past it. And then as they went, they had to keep recharting their course, replotting their course, reshooting the sun, and, and verifying that they were actually going where they wanted to go. I think that's where we need to, the, the example I want to draw out of that is that we need to continue to evaluate our lives. Um, we want to chart a good course from the start, but we also need to take time and continue to think, am I on the right course? Am I going the right direction? We probably need some corrections. We can't, we can't just expect that the, the course I charted originally is going to be perfect the whole way through. Um, it's not to say that we necessarily were flawed, but life changes, we change. Uh, there's things that we start to understand about ourselves we didn't understand before. Sins that we didn't notice that now we do. Um, and we need to continue to, to reevaluate our lives and reevaluate them before Christ. Are we on the, on the right road? I just want to challenge us to, to live undistractedly. Um, that we to evaluate the things that are distracting us daily, the momentary distractions, and that we also evaluate our course in life, um, are we living in a way that is focused on Christ or are we distracted by other things in the way we live? That focus on what, we, the, what our focus is in life is a thing I think that scares me the most. Um, probably some of y'all have heard this, the story of Josh Harris. Um, he was a man that years ago wrote a book on dating and then on marriage and um, just recently divorced his wife and said that his books were all a mistake and I think moved to British Columbia and took a graduate degree and now he's in marketing. <laughs> Left his church, he'd been a pastor for like 15 or 20 years, I think, of a mega church. And I, I wonder, I mean, I don't know what went on with him. I, I don't know what all his choices were, but somewhere his his focus got wrong. And it... It's affecting where he's, where, he's, where he's heading now. That's the sort of thing that scares me about my life, about our lives. Is do we, can we get our focus wrong to the point that someday we just abandon everything because we've become convinced that what we once thought was important no longer is? God bless you all. Thank you for your attention.